Kansas voters overhauled the Kansas Senate in 2020, filling more than one-third of the 40 seats with newcomers. The chamber has 15 new members, including a replacement for the late Senator Bud Estes. A dozen are Republicans, three are Democrats, and one of them is Senator Ethan Corson, a Johnson County Democrat who had never before held elective office but was no stranger to politics. Welcome, Senator Corson. Thanks for joining us on the Kansas Reflector podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And uh, Radio Parlance, longtime listener, first-time caller, so appreciate <laughs> it very much. That's pretty awesome. All, now all we need is a phone in here. Uh, so perhaps it's best to start with a question I've asked candidates many times over the years at the outset of campaigns, actually. Uh, have you lost your mind? Why did you want to be in the legislature? Well, I know that my wife thinks that I've, I've lost my mind uh, often when I when I come home late in the evening after a day in Topeka. But, uh, you know, for me, I, I really thought that my background and experience would bring a unique perspective to the Kansas Senate. As you mentioned, I'm new to the legislature, but not really new to politics and government. It's where I've spent a large part of my career. I spent two years as a senior leader at the U.S. Department of Commerce. I think that economic development experience is really valuable for Kansas. Um, I'm one of only two attorneys in the Senate and the only attorney in the Democratic caucus. I think that perspective is important. Uh, and I'm a graduate of the school district I represent, Shine Mission School District, which is also where our son will attend. And it's a real privilege to be an advocate for the district in Topeka uh, because I know the difference that public schools in Kansas have, have made in my life. And frankly, I was also motivated to run because when I looked around the Senate, I just didn't see a lot of folks who were having similar experiences to me and my wife and my family. And, you know, what I mean by that is our situation is essentially the same as so many Kansas families. We've got a 21-month-old son. We're both working. We're trying to juggle work and child care. We're paying our mortgage. We both still have student loans. We're trying to repay our student loans while we're saving for our son's college. And in my community, in my district, that is a totally common experience that so many families are having. But you come here in Topeka and you look at the Kansas Senate, and that experience is almost nowhere represented. You know, the average age last session was about 70 years old. And (laughs) not to say that those people don't also bring tremendous life experiences and background, but I think we need to have uh, more voices who are able to talk about the issues that so many families are facing. Yeah, you're shattering the mold because you're under 50 years of age. So as a freshman member, what's your general impression of the Kansas legislature? What, If you had to explain it to somebody in a, in a handful of uh, sentences, what, what would you say? So I first say it's obviously a really interesting time to start, you know, amid COVID, masks, social distancing. The thing that I... I miss the most from just being at the Capitol in in previous roles is the energy, you know, groups, lobby days, field trips, buses of of school kids, tours. It it just Mm -hmm. feels eerily quiet with it's just the elected officials, the staff, the lobbyists, some reporters, you know, Moms Demand Action. And I love that organization and and their energy. You know, they're usually there and they're all wearing their red shirts. And Mm -hmm. they did what was a great advocacy day, but it was all virtual. And so I just I'm looking forward to when we can get to a place where we can have that energy um, back in the Capitol. Yeah, starting amid COVID has got to be a bit surreal. And you're right, because in, in a normal times, there'd be a, a, there'd be a lot of shouting in the rotunda. There'd be people out on the steps outside, and it's much more colorful. Yeah. And so, yeah, there is something missing from but, that. You know, it, I mean, I guess I'll give you sort of a, a, a good news, bad news. I mean, I think really what you see is, in the Senate is, you know, you see 40 people, 
And I really believe that every single one of them is trying to do what they think is the right thing for Kansas. And it's just that sometimes we disagree wildly on, on what that right thing is. But when you think about it, you've got 40 people, all who are bringing a unique life experience, professional background, education from all parts of the state, and they're coming together as a citizen legislature to try to make policy for the state. So a lot of that is is beautiful and wonderful. I realize also that in the day-to-day sausage making, when you watch us on the Senate floor, it doesn't always look or feel uh, beautiful and wonderful. may not be a word that comes to mind, but uh, I try to keep that kind of with me in the day-to-day of that, you know, 40 people were all trying to do what we believe is right. And we just sometimes have different visions of, of what that is. Yeah. One of the differences this year is that because of COVID, uh, they, they have added YouTube live, live streaming, archived video of committee meetings. The House and Senate chamber is there. So you really can the people that live 250 miles away from Topeka can get a sense of what's going on by subject matter. Uh, you know, it could be improved, but I think it's a big step forward in transparency. You know, Republicans have a massive majorities in the House and Senate, and Democratic Governor Laura Kelly occupies the second floor of the Capitol. And I get the feeling we're about to hear and feel the thunder of that partisan clash of ideas. The punctuation marks will be vetoes issued by the governor, and certainly following that, there'll be attempts by the Senate and the House to get those two-thirds majorities required to override her. Do you feel this coming? Do you know what I'm talking about? You know, I, I think there's to be attention. I think that you look at some of the things that have passed. I think the tax bill comes to mind. Uh, obviously, we're still a long ways from that getting to her desk and that the House has to has to weigh in on that. There will, I assume, be a conference committee. But if you look at what came out of the Senate side, I, I think, again, just based off what the governor said publicly, I think that's going to be an issue where there's going to be some distance. Uh, you look at what the the governor has said around the Kansas Emergency Management Act, and mm-hmm. I'm on that conference committee trying to pull that together. But I think that has the potential to be an, an area of difference. And uh, you potentially could be looking at things like K-12 education and, and other issues where there could be could be some significant gaps uh, as far as where folks are between the legislature and the, and the governor's office. So it's a big blur of tax bills. And you got to remember that last year the session got cut in half. And so the idea of slashing taxes uh, got kind of derailed last year. And so there's like two years of pent up demand by conservatives who think about nothing other than than reducing taxation. So there's there's an old bill the governor vetoed a while back in which it provides a, a bunch of out-of-state companies, a bunch of big corporations, huge tax breaks. Uh, there's a thing that would allow people to itemize. And she, the governor has vetoed this in the past, and I just can't get past the fact that she would have the audacity to veto it again, don't you think? Well, the thing that stri- strikes me is uh, like I said, I don't question any of the lawmakers' motivation, but I, I just question the priorities coming out of Republican leadership in the Senate. When you look around at the landscape and you think right now of all the, the challenges facing Kansas, you think about what our working families are going through. You think about what our small businesses are going through. What's happening to the Main Street shops? You know, One out of every six restaurants in Kansas has closed since the pandemic. And so this idea that right now is the moment to say, you know what we need? We need $1 billion over the next three years in giant tax cuts for multinational corporations and for the wealthiest Kansans. Right. So that's a Senate bill that passed. If we enacted that by next year alone, we'd already be in a budget deficit of $100 million. This is the exact same road we went to 
under Governor Brownback, and we're now just barreling down it again. And and again, I don't question uh, people's values, but th- to have those priorities to me is shocking because, uh, speaking personally, I you know I, during my campaign I ran for 13 months in between you know, phone calls, emails, door knocks. We made about 135,000 attempts to talk to voters. There was not a single person who said, you know what, Ethan, the big issue that I think you need to tackle in the legislature is multinational corporations don't have enough enough tax relief. Mm -hmm. They only got a 50% tax cut under the Trump tax cuts. You know, I'm worried that the wealthiest Kansans aren't getting enough tax breaks. So, uh, right, just, but those are those big fat catters are people that fund campaigns, and and so there there you have the the dilemma for some people. Just a bit of background: Brown back in 2012 adopted a massive tax cut pro, income tax program. His goal was to eliminate the income tax in Kansas. He never quite got there. The state had all kinds of budget problems for years, and in 2017, Republicans and Democrats came together and repealed much of that Brownback tax program. And so now, because there's some money in the bank. And there's a bunch of federal money coming into the state that people want to want to spend. Uh, they're passing these massive tax cuts and, and trying to drive tax cuts in, in counties and tell counties what to do about property taxes. And and I think there's it's just going to it's, it's not clear they know exactly where they want to go. It's just pass, 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 pass. And maybe we'll add it up later. I just do you have any concerns about the bottom line? Oh, I, I have huge concerns about the bottom line. I mean, I don't know where these these there is just not a billion dollars over the next three years of fat in the budget that we can responsibly cut. And so whenever I've talked to folks and they've asked me what the number one issue is, I've said the tax bill because I don't even need to know what their number one issue is because whatever it is, it's going to be affected if we pass this. Probably in there somewhere. If you're somebody who wants to make sure that we continue our K-12 funding obligations, that tax bill puts that in jeopardy. If you want to see more broadband infrastructure in rural Kansas, puts that in jeopardy. If you want to see us continue to fund the transportation program that we just passed last year, it puts that in jeopardy. If you want more mental health services, it puts that in jeopardy. So, I mean, this tax bill is just this overhanging cloud over everything that we're able to do as a state government as we try to to navigate our way out of this pandemic in a way that restores our economy, creates broad-based growth, and helps working families. There's another issue that one year into the pandemic, the Kansas Emergency Management Act, it's it's the law that guided the governor and how basically how the state's supposed to respond in an emergency. And in the old days, the emergencies were tornadoes and floods and things like that, uh, not COVID-19. So there were some tweaks that have been done to it. But there's a lot of Republicans who absolutely despise what the governor has done with her authority, both what she spent money on. They're, they're critical of testing. Uh, they're critical of vaccine rollout. And they, they don't like that she shut down businesses. And she tried to stop uh, super spreader events at churches and uh, temporarily uh, tried to reduce the size of the crowds that could go to churches. And so they are coming after, the Republicans are coming after this Emergency Management Act. And and one of the concerns of the governor is they're going to reshape that in a manner that will make it very hard f- to have speedy responses in the next pandemic, the next emergency, the next calamity. Do you, do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I, I have a big sense of that. I mean, look, I voted against this bill in the Judiciary Committee. I voted against it on the Senate floor. I have major reservations, which I expressed in both of those different different forums. Now, I'm on the conference committee. We're working with the House to try to put something together that 
can hopefully address the, the concerns of, of everybody. And I know, look, in these negotiations, nothing's final till everything is final. But yeah, I have major concerns. I mean, think about the restrictions on the governor, this idea that we're going to have a political committee that would have to approve in an emergency, approve any executive orders before they could be issued. The idea that we'd eliminate, eliminate the ability of the secretary of KDHE and local health officials to issue orders. We've got this really unworkable definition of what is accepted scientific data. Um, the Mid-America Regional Council has come out against it. The Kansas chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics has come out against it. And fundamentally, I think we you need to have, who, who no matter who the governor is, the authority of a governor to act quickly in in a time of crisis to make the kind of life and death decisions that people are counting on in in their commander of chief in chief. Now, of course, there is a role for oversight, and I think that's what we're debating is what that proper role is. And and I'm of the view, of course, there is one, but at the same time, I'm worried that this bill would just hamstring so much of government, whether it's the governor, the secretary of KDHE, municipalities, cities, school boards, local health officers. This bill is really far-reaching and would really dictate a lot of what the response would look like. If I can just wade into the weeds a little bit, I believe there's one element of a, the in the future, the idea is that executive orders uh, shaped by a governor would be submitted to the attorney general for review. And in say in 24 hours, the AG would have to offer some sort of non-binding analysis of whether or not it was constitutional and what it conformed to state law. One of the interesting elements of that is, of course, the Attorney General of Kansas is running for governor. And so what the legislature could be doing is, is saying out loud, oh, Democrat governor, we don't trust her to make decisions. We actually need an adult in the room, the attorney general, who could be very well on the ballot next November, in November 22, running against the governor. We need that guy to look at all this. So do you think there's any political balls bouncing around inside that bill? Well, I know that what's happened is I think that generally that the, all these orders have already been sent to the attorney general for feedback and input. And, and I think that that process is already underway. And, and so this is would be codifying that process. There is an element certainly of the fox guarding the hen house, right, with, you know, is the is the attorney general, does does he have an incentive to put a finger on the scale and say, oh, look at the governor is issuing these orders that are, that are, you know, flawed in some manner. I think that there's an element of that, but the bigger picture is I think we need to have people in government who are empowered to make these life and death decisions where every minute, every hour could potentially be affecting people's lives. And, you know, it was disappointing to me was there were some comments about, oh, well, COVID was a one-time thing and, and, almost that we shouldn't worry about that. But the next thing we won't be able to predict and we need to have a flexible response framework. And again, I think when voters go to the polls, part of the job that they're hiring for is to have a governor who is the commander in chief who's responsible for the state's response to disasters. I think it's perfectly fair for folks to look at uh, what has happened, look at the job of an executive. And and I think that we'll more than uh, very well litigate that issue in the 2022 election. But I think that to me is the proper forum for that. I don't think it is through legislation trying to tie the hands of your executive so he or she or a governor in 20 or 30 years can't effectively respond. And it would be mid-pandemic. Correct. Yeah, we're, we're not out of the pandemic. So it, there are curious questions about that. 
so one of the first things you got to do when you came to the state house was uh, decide how you would vote on a proposed constitutional amendment on abortion. Uh, essentially, if passed by voters in August of tw- 2022, it would serve as a rebuke to the Kansas Supreme Court, which declared in a ruling that indeed Kansans had a constitutional right to abortion. How did you vote on that and why? So I, I voted against the amendment. Um, I believe that these are fundamentally, these are at their core, these are personal private decisions that should be made by uh, the person who is or can become pregnant and their healthcare provider with the, the best medical I- advice and input. And then, but ultimately these to me are fundamentally deeply personal decisions that should be made not by politicians, but by uh, that individual person. An unrelated topic, are you the youngest state senator at the moment? So, so Senator O'Shea, whose district we're in now, is has me beat. I am the youngest Democratic senator. I'm the second okay. youngest senator. Okay. So you, you could maybe speak to your generation. I, I think a lot of uh, people who graduate high school, go to college, uh, learn a skill, a lot of people are leaving Kansas. And I, I'm not sure it's just lack of opportunity or they just think living elsewhere is more exciting. So do you have any concerns about your peers that maybe go to law school and then next thing you know, they're in San Francisco? Yeah, I have real worries about this. When you look at the out-migration in Kansas, particularly among folks who are getting bachelor's or higher degrees, I think it is the the number one problem that is happening in Kansas that not enough folks in the legislature are talking about because that really is our future. We continue to lose population and so, I mean, the experience was you know, personal to me and really eye-opening. I was a fellow at the Dole Institute um, in this, the spring of 2019, and I was working with a lot of kids who were in the honors program at KU. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, so these are essentially among the best and the brightest young kids, mostly educated at Kansas public schools, so educated with Kansas tax dollars at our schools, now at one of our flagship universities in the honors college. And I would ask them, what are you, what are you going to do after this? What's your plans? And for almost all of them, it was, I'm moving to Nashville, I'm moving to Chicago, I'm moving to Boston. Really eye-opening because these are the kids that we most need to keep in Kansas. I think that we need to really be focused on creating a real sense of excitement and opportunity around what's going on in the state. I mean, I think we really need to challenge folks to say, if you're an engineer, we are going to be central in something like being a part of the electric vehicle supply chain. And we're going to do that here in Kansas. Or we're going to be, we already are doing significant significant work in wind energy, but we're really going to double down on that. And we're going to really create some Fortune 500 companies here in Kansas. And we need you. If you're an engineer, this is the most exciting, interesting place for you to do that. I think we need to challenge folks to stay here, to be a part of something special. And I think that that's what that's part of the challenge that we have is folks look at our tax policy, folks look at some of our social policies, and they just feel like we can be regressive with some of our social policies and we're not really creating a startup culture, an entrepreneurship culture, and it really creating these these exciting opportunities. I think so much of it is we're always in this mentality of cut, 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 cut. Mm-hmm. And I think what folks are attracted to is investment. You know, they want to see an investment. So I made this joke during, not really a joke, but, you know, during the tax bill discussion, I said, you know, this bill was a bullet train to Brownbackville. And I got a lot of emails saying, why don't we actually do a bullet train to Denver? <laughs> like, that would be cool, right? And I think that's what young so is people it, are is it really to. Is it really 
state government's job to make the state more interesting to, to build industry like that? Do you think that's really the role of state government? I do. I mean, I think we're competing against you know, 49 other states who are all out there selling their states, selling young people, selling businesses on that they need to be here. And I do think we need, and I, and I by the way, think that uh, Lieutenant Governor and Secretary of Commerce Toland is doing a great job of that, to be absolutely clear. I mean, I think they are out there doing it. And we've had a number of new companies come into Kansas. We've had a number of, of uh, inbound investment in Kansas that has been really impressive. So uh, by no means am I saying that's not being done. I think it's being done really well. What I'm saying is let's double down on it because I do think it is so important. You know, And look, being a parent has also changed my view on that because I want my son to be here. You know, my hope is that he will, when he's of the right age and he's thinking about making the same decision I made of where I want to have a family and raise my family, I hope he's here because, you know, it's I don't know. Nashville, it's awesome. Nashville's a pretty interesting place. I don't know if you've been there. You no, know, it's a great country music scene, but, yeah. you know, I Kansas City, you got, you know, okay. great barbecue, great public right. schools. All right. Yeah, right. So you... Uh, you went to law school and you went to Washington and you worked with, I think, U.S. Senator Claire McCaskill and maybe uh, Representative Dick Gephardt, right. yeah, so, Missouri. And, and so I was kind of curious, just, you, you know, you can touch on that, but how do, what's your sense of the political climate in Topeka as opposed to D.C.? I, I always kind of have this sense that D.C. is politics on steroids, you know? I think that's right. I mean, you know, one of the things that has been really wonderful about the Senate is I do think there is a sense of collegiality, you mm -hmm. know, and, and when I talk to folks, you know, I say, you know, you, you, there are folks who I disagree with wildly when it comes down to votes. And, and there's, you know, a couple I'm thinking of that, you know, probably we, other than the just very non-controversial bills, we may not have voted the same on a single significant piece of legislation this entire session who I have really good, warm relationships with. And I think that that is something unique in Topeka. Uh, I've, I've enjoyed that, that aspect of it because there does, there is at least, you know, and my experience has been in the Senate side, but there's a sense of, you know, we're voting, we're debating on bills, but when that's over, it's over. And, it would be and, a lot better if more legislators, even though they fiercely oppose each other on the floor, if they could have the capacity to go have a cup of coffee together. I, I just think the whole process would benefit from that. No, I do too. I mean, and that's sort of the advice that I got in when I was coming up in politics from people who were mentors to me was that you, the biggest mistake you can make is to really personalize this. Hmm. And you really have to, even when people are, can be incredibly frustrating and difficult and you really can't see why they're holding some of the views or voting some of the way that they can. You really can't try to make it personal. You have to have that ability to say they are, they are, they have their own reasons. I may not understand them, but they're really trying to do what they think is best for their district, for the state. And, and some of that I'm never going to be able to change. I just need to be able to accept. And, and I think where you really get into trouble is when you start questioning people's motivations. And so I, I have tried to, not always perfectly, but try to have the attitude of you have to understand everybody's there doing their level best and, uh, you know, let's sort of leave it on the field and shake hands afterwards, so to speak. Yeah, motivation evaluation is strongly discouraged. Um, so you, you were executive director of the Kansas Democratic Party from 2017 to 2019. Laura Kelly, Governor Kelly, was elected in that period. So was U.S. Representative Sharice Davids. And so... 
Can you talk a little bit about the ingredients of the success of those two campaigns? You know, I think, uh, you know, for, first off, I mean, I, I have to give some some credit to just just being to there. the candidates, maybe to to good timing. <laughs> I mean, you know, the the first thing is, you know, Congresswoman Davids ran an incredible, inspiring campaign, brought out a lot of people who had never been involved in the process. I mean, I feel privileged to have gotten to know her um, through this and just find her to be an incredibly smart, hardworking, talented person who inspired a lot of people to really get up off the couch, stop yelling at the TV and get out there and pounding the pavement, knocking on doors, making phone calls. You know, a lot of people would would say that I've never been involved in actual politics. I've watched it on cable news, but I've never done anything until Congresswoman Davids. Governor Kelly ran a really hard fought campaign, did an excellent job. So I think the real credit goes to the candidates. What we did try to do was build we tried to build up the county level parties. And so, it, you know, something you might be interested in is, you know, when I took over as the executive director, uh, actually when, when Paul Davis lost the 2014 uh, gubernatorial race, we had about an organized presence as the Kansas Democratic Party in about 40 of the 105 counties. By the time uh, Governor Kelly was elected, we were organized in about 82, 83 of the 105 counties, having a formal county party chair and infrastructure. And And I think that organizing was really important because what we did on a statewide level in 2018 was we didn't necessarily win in all of these deep red counties, but we significantly cut the margin. And what that allowed us to do was when we won Johns County by 45,000 votes, that was enough because we kept the margin closer in some of these more rural areas where we hadn't really been organized, hadn't had to get out the vote effort, and hadn't had a county party infrastructure. So that mm-hmm. is something that we did do that I'm really proud of. So in the Capitol, as you all know, the Democrats are the minority party. So how can the Democrats make inroads in these legislative districts in a state where I think President Trump prevailed by a couple hundred thousand votes in Kansas in November. How does the Democratic Party build its numbers in the House and Senate? Yeah. So I I think we're going to be helped by the changing population structure of the state. I think when when the census results at the legislative level are available, I think what you're going to see is that we will have significantly gained population in a lot of parts of the state that Democrats are doing better and better in. And so some of that we're just going to be helped by the results of that. I mean, I think there are going to be no question additional legislative seats in places like Johnson County, where Democrats now have the majority of the delegation for the first time. I believe in the first time in history that we now have the majority of the Johnson County House and Senate delegation is Democratic. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to have additional seats. So that's going to give us new places that we can compete in, new seats to run for that we maybe not have had. So you may have... A densely populated Democratic district may now become two districts or part of two districts. So I think these maps are going to help us uh, in some of the places we're just doing better. And you look at where the population is moving, and it's generally places that Democrats are doing better in. Interesting. What about Southwest Kansas? You you have a, a rising uh, immigrant population there. Are our is that just going to remain Republican, or yeah, so, I what's mean, going you're, to happen there? You're knocking on a soft spot in my heart because I went to community college at Garden City Community College in Southwest Kansas, and the interesting thing is when I was there, I was there 2001, 2003. Uh, you had a lot of of residents there who were uh, not citizens, and now they have 
three or four kids who are who are 21 or older who are as American as any of us. And I think our challenge is really to get some resources. And this was always something that I wanted to do more of as the executive director. But if we were able to get down there with significant resources, really engage, develop relationships with these folks, get them registered to vote, I think these are going to be folks who are going to be Democratic voters for generations because I think their values are our values. It's just a matter of us having a presence, getting in the community. Mm-hmm. Well, before we wrap up, I was curious. You're, you you have, what, a couple months, a month of, of experience in the Kansas Senate. But would you urge people, your peers, maybe even younger, uh, participate in politics? Yeah, I, I look. I got involved as as a as a as a, de- a college Democrat was kind of my first experience, and I've had just an amazing experience uh, through the different ways that I've been engaged. And for some people, th- that's a candidate. But you know, frankly, I, I was a little bit of a surprise to me that this opportunity arose. So I stepped down as the executive director of the Kansas Democratic Party. And I thought I was going to go back to just practicing law. And it was I was as surprised as anybody when Dr. Boyer decided to run for, for the U.S. Senate and, and open up that seat. But I do think that it is so important, as I mentioned earlier, to have younger voices in the state house, in mm-hmm. city government, in county government, because the decisions that are being made are disproportionately decisions that affect the folks who are 40 and under, you know, if it, whether or not this tax bill becomes law, that's largely going to affect Kansans who are under 40, way more than it's going to affect folks who are 65 and older. And so it's going to be our state for the next generation. And I think it's important that we have a voice at the table. Yeah. I've always been curious about youthful voters. And you could ask a, a group of high school students, uh, how many are here are registered to vote? Maybe five hands go up out of 30. And you think, so you're saying you just want me to go ahead and make all the decisions for you. Me, you know? Yeah. Or maybe you want to make some of those decisions about your future, you know? Yeah. And then they seem a little bit more excited about participating in politics. But well, look, it's, like you say, yeah. they got to get off the couch. You know, it's like President Obama you know, did a, a funny thing. But he said, you know, look, I wouldn't let these people pick my playlist. Let, <laughs> you know, let alone pick the direction of my state or my country or my city. All right, excellent. I want to thank Senator Ethan Corson, Johnson County Democrat, for joining us on the podcast. Appreciate your time. 